In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Uh, today I have a very special guest, Chris Walton, uh, CEO of OmniTalk and Third House. Chris, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Great to have you. And uh, I think uh, we're in for a treat. Uh, you have uh, I've been, I've been going through uh, you know accolades and, and kind of your experience here and wanted to have you actually uh, share a little bit about what OmniTalk is all about and Third House. Yeah, so I've been, uh, you know, quick bio on me, I've been in retail for about 20 years, as we were talking about just before we got on. I started my career out in San Francisco, out at The Gap, actually. Uh, and uh, after that, joined up with Target. Spent a good number of years at Target and did pretty much every role under the sun there. I was in merchandising for a long time, actually ran stores in the field, uh, held executive positions in e-commerce, and then most recently was their uh, head of the, their store, The Future Project, which was kind of the title of the podcast suggests, five to 10 years out, why are people still coming to stores to shop? And about two years ago, after that experience, I went out on my own and uh, I basically started and decided to write and talk about the future of retail as often as I could. I found a subject matter I loved. I had spent a lot of time looking and trying to understand what technologies, what experiences matter at scale when you start talking about large scale retail operations. And so my partner and I, we have a lot of experience, you know, in understanding what works and what doesn't. And so we try to educate the market and put our thoughts out there about what's real and, and what's not. And so that's what we do through our platform. Uh, it's called OmniTalk. It's our blog, omnitalk.blog. We write a lot of articles. We do weekly podcasts. We do a lot of podcast interviews with up-and-coming technology companies, um, and I frequently write for Forbes. I'm a senior contributor for Forbes, and oftentimes I'm putting my thoughts out on that medium, say, five, six, seven, eight times a month as well. Wow, so you're busy. <laughs> Especially right now. It's funny It's it's funny you say that because I think all the things that we've been writing and talking about for the past two years based on our collective experience are actually now all being sped up. So, you know, with COVID-19 has done anything, it's shown that a lot of the things we were starting to talk about that seemed kind of crazier on the innovative end of things are now becoming real and, and quite important. So it's actually made our voice a little bit louder over this period of time. What are some of those things? Actually, uh, you know, one of the things that our uh, listeners are, are curious about right now, what are some of the things that you've you've seen maybe, you know, since COVID, since the pandemic has hit us, you know, what, what are some things that you've seen in the consumer and uh, customer behavior change? I usually break that down into three areas. I, th I think first is there's just the continued acceleration towards e-commerce. We like to think it's pretty prevalent, but I just saw the statistic a few weeks ago that, even amid COVID-19, only 52% of the American population, for example, has tried e-groceries. And that number is staggering. I mean, 48% of the country still has not even tried that. Now, there's a whole host of reasons for that. There's, you know, age demographics. There's systematic factors that keep people from using it. For example, you can't use food stamps or SNAP online. So, you know, that population is depressed for certain reasons. But at this, or that statistic is depressed for certain reasons, I should say. But it still shows you that there's a, still a lot of room to grow in terms of just overall e-commerce adoption. So I think it's still talking about that and how that's going to come about. I mean, there's traditional e-commerce, there's Shopify doing what they're doing with their mobile app that they announced last week, there's social commerce. All of that is still changing so fundamentally day in and day out that it's just going to become more and more popular each and every week. 
So that's one thing. I mean, I think everyone kind of understands that too, but the other things you're starting to see, which I think are the next offshoots are, e-commerce has made everything available by the press of a button. So what you're now seeing, especially in grocery, this is I think the crucible for it right now, is buy online, pick up in store, curbside, or as I like to call it, not BOPIS, but buy online, pick up in store, but buy online, pick up in something or in somewhere. It almost doesn't matter where it is. It's just what are the moments where you need things that are most convenient in your life that could be at work, it could be at the gym, it could be at the grocery store. It can be a lot of different places. And we're starting to see how important that is to people, especially in a COVID environment. But it was important to people already. Kroger, Walgreens were already doing experiments on this prior to all this happening. So you're just going to see that, I think, start to accelerate. And it has a lot of economic benefits on the operational side for retailers, too. You've got coordinated pickup points, delivery stations, helps defray some of the cost. The other point I think you're starting to see is around contactless payments. That's always something we've been a huge fan of, whether it's, you know, scan and go mobile type implementations like what you see with a Sam's Club now down in Texas, 7-Eleven, or if you go super far out with Amazon Go, some of the things Trigo is doing with Tesco where, you know, it's fully computer vision based self-checkout where you just walk in, take whatever you want off the shelf and walk out. I think that those elements of convenience, but now also the elements that are added with those types of tools through the psychology of safety. I think you're just going to see that, you know, start to happen more and more. And it's always something we believed in. And quite frankly, it's hard for me to shop retail because I know all that stuff is there. So when I go into traditional experiences and I have to stand in line, it's really hard. So actually, I do most of my shopping almost online for that reason. Do you think there's a sense of a new norm and a sense of what retailers should do? I guess with that, are there long-term changes they should make? So any short-term uh, just post-COVID and any long-term for, for people that are trying to you know, kind of pull people back into their store locations? It's really along the lines of what we talked about. What I always tell retailers, I actually just wrote an article on this in Forbes, is I think the best advice I would give right now is let's think a year out or even a year and a half out. And what decisions would you make if you took a long-term view a year to a year and a half out and you said, you know what? The store's never going to reopen. I mean, there's all this talk of reopening, but strategically, let's say it's never going to reopen. And then what decisions would you make and start to work back from there? And I think the answers you arrive at are very different than what I worry you see a lot of retailers doing right now, which is how do we just open, right? Like what safety procedures do we need? What protective equipment do we need? What lines of demarcation on the floor do we think people are actually going to follow and start to move traffic through the store one way or the other, which is probably never going to happen the way people think? That can all be really distracting in the short term. But if instead you say, like, let's assume the store's never open, what decisions would we make? Well, then, yeah, you're going to do the things I talked about. Let's make sure that the retail experience we offer to our customers is digital first. For physical retailers, they probably have never thought that way. They've probably tried, but they've never wholeheartedly gone into thinking about it with that mindset. So what is the right digital front face of a retailer? Then what are the quote unquote omni-channel experiences that need to be offered off of that? Is it buy online, pick up in store? Is it curbside pickup? It is some variant or version of that that is still yet to be imagined? Is it contactless payments? Is it concierge shopping like some retailers have gone after? There's so many things you can do when you start to think about it that way that are important, that can be implemented now, that are also far afield from what you say are the typical state uh, safety procedures just to reopen. So that that's what I encourage people to do. I'm a little worried that the industry overall is not embracing that approach, but we'll, time will tell. Yeah, it's interesting. I know kind of quote unquote omni-channel is, is one of those you know buzzwords that you know is really not even used as much anymore. But I think one of the things that you're saying that's critical is how do you take a, if you've only had a physical uh, type strategy, how do you add that digital strategy? If you've had a really good digital strategy, 
how do you then think about, you know, maybe putting some of those components in store to make the shopping experience easier? But what do you think are some areas that, um, you know, retailers are, are getting wrong in thinking through this and or implementation? Uh, things that you, you've seen or advice there? The thing that I think is the biggest concern right now is that stores just really aren't the safest place to shop. And as I was alluding to before, I'm worried that we're rushing. I do worry that we are rushing to reopen and we're trying to put in these procedures that, yes, maybe some people will follow them. But when I start thinking, for example, like the malls, like what is that mall experience going to look like? We're all metered in. They're trying to monitor us. Maybe we're wearing protective equipment. Maybe the sales associates are. And then what are we touching? What are we not? You know, am I looking at a piece of clothing in the same way? I don't understand how that's really a great experience for anyone. And how, and I think the big unknown question is how many people will want to actually do that? And so you could be exacerbating the problem instead of saying like, okay, wait, how do we just create new bridges to our consumers that we haven't had before where entering the store isn't the first requirement? That's what has to be explored. Best Buy is a great example of this. Like, I think Best Buy has been on this really early. Like, look at Best Buy. Best Buy was one of the first companies that shut their stores and they made them available for pickup only. And the amazing statistic out of Best Buy is they are still maintaining 70% of their sales rates by going to pickup only. And instead of rushing to reopen them, what have they done? Well, now they've actually made their stores available by appointment only. They're dipping their toe into it in different ways to try to figure out what that right answer is. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually interesting. I was talking to a you know luxury retailer the other day that uh, you know, it's all about those one-to-one experiences. So they've never had to think through a digital strategy. And now as they're thinking about how do I take that same in-store experience, that one-on-one experience, and you know, luxury retail price tags are five thousand dollars for a shirt or whatever they may be. And and so how do I take that same experience and, and extend that online? And some of the things that you're saying right now, uh, you know, by doing those one-on-one appointments, by doing the pickup, by doing the, you know, one-on-one consulting over over video and, you know, bringing that same in-store experience to the living room or, or wherever, you know, they're, they're engaging with their customer. So absolutely agree with that. Yeah, it's funny, Bobby. I mean, even as you said that, like, I think it's, it's interesting how psychologically the physical nature of the store is itself almost an anchor on how people think about it. The other thing we've been seeing a lot on social media or that my team and I have been watching closely, there's been a lot of like, well, how do we use VR to basically recapture what a store looks and feels like, but in the digital world. And we always, we always laugh at that because we're like, we're like, first of all, nobody has any money. No one's buying VR glasses. That technology is not proven. That's a really hard thing to get people to do. It's a new hard behavior for consumers to adopt, even when they're forced to adopt something new. So why not come at it a different way? Don't just anchor yourself in like, hey, we want to shop physical stores the way we always have just in the digital world. What are all the other tools out there? You know, you've got live stream commerce that you could be experimenting with, which has gone gangbusters over in China on Singles Day with Alibaba. Those are the types of things where you can create exactly like you said, those one-to-one connections that are pretty cheap and pretty easy to do that you can just try out with a very low cost of experimentation. But yet you're still not seeing people move toward that that fast. As fast, yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you, I'm with you. It was actually uh, another interesting point as, as I was walking through the streets of San Francisco, there's one retailer that put a you know digital screen in their, in their window and what they're doing is having the customer kind of walk through each of the aisles without having to walk in, of course and see kind of the different things. And they're doing it every day on kind of new arrivals and new new items that come outside. I thought that was pretty clever too, but I'm with you, uh, you know, different ways to kind of think through things uh, for each retailer. I know you've said a lot of these already, but are there like, if you had, if you told a retailer, hey, focus on these one or two things as best practices to implement today, what would that piece of advice be? 
I think it depends on who you are as a retailer. Probably the simplest way to think about that, I think right now in the in, at that 30,000 foot level is probably to say, are you grocery or mass or are you specialty or mall-based retailing? And so if I was to give advice across both those streams, I think in terms of grocery, I think you've got to figure out two things. One, how do you go contactless? And then the other thing we haven't really talked about is how do you get more flexible in your fulfillment? So I've been taking a lot of inspiration from some of the companies like a Kroger or a Sam's Club, again, that have taken some of their stores dark, quote unquote. Amazon's doing this too. But basically where they're running them as little mini automated fulfillment centers. And I think the addition of automation co-located on-site at grocery stores is going to be a big trend. Now is the time to experiment with that. And then that also gives you the flexibility to decide, you know, do you need to be open or not as this thing continues to unfold? So I think how do you go contact contactless and not even require the store? And how do you make the supply chain more flexible? On the mall-based side of things, the specialty retail side, I think my advice is simple. And I've been saying this pretty loudly. The mall developers need to step up. And for the most part, I would say they haven't been. You've seen some instances with companies like Kimco. You've seen the Mall of America try to take this lead. But the mall developers themselves need to step up and decide what are the set of capabilities that we need to have to make sure that we can all prosper. And it's not just prosper in the time of COVID, but prosper in the sense of that business model was challenged before. How do we all band together to get more economies of scale out of it so that we can all work together and benefit. So how do you do that? Well, it's like I said, I think I think it's interesting. For example, the first thing I would explore, there is no digital front face of a mall. Like Amazon is essentially a digital mall. It's a marketplace. Every mall doesn't, no mall in America has that position. I've never understood why. I don't say I'm going to go to the gap. I say, we're going to go to the mall, right? So set that up. You now have the leverage as a developers to force the retailers to buy into that you don't have to hold the inventory, just be the front face for their commerce. Off of that, yeah, off of that, you can then you know, do all kinds of things around coordinating curbside delivery, coordinating returns. That's just a great place to start. And then you can do a lot of things from there, but that's what they need to do. Unfortunately, what's happening now is the retailers are trying to coordinate all this by themselves or small bands of themselves inside these different operations. And none of that is ideal from a consumer experience standpoint. I was on I was on a mall site yesterday. It's like, oh, you want curbside at your mall? Well, go to this retailer's website, choose this location for delivery. I'm not going to do that across, you know, Levi's Gap, J. Crew, or whatever. Like, again, this is, it's just sounding horrible as it starts to unfold. And so the developers have to get in front of it. I agree with that. That's actually very interesting. You know, being able to walk in the mall without walking in the mall and kind of have that digital front is what, what I think you're saying. And then, you know, be able to shop at different stores, which is very unique. That's a great thought there. Are there, you know, on the, on the other side of the coin, there's a bunch of retailers that are going to the full extent of, of trying to do like 10 different things, right? At the same time, are there areas that you think, you know, retailers should avoid, you know, as they kind of scramble to, to open back up? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think now's not the time to try to perfect your business model or try to find that just incremental margin you can get out of the consumer during this period of time. I wrote a pretty blistering piece on, on Walmart, actually, as an example of that, where Walmart's now doing express delivery, where they're saying you can pay an extra fee and you can get your goods delivered in two hours. I don't think that's the right move right now at this, right, at this period of time, especially given who their clientele is. And I think you can, I can see why you think that, potentially think that as well. It's just that's delay those types of things. Instead, focus on the foundational elements you know, that we've been talking about. And I, the other piece of advice would be steer clear of the things that are just flash in the pans that are tech for tech's sake. I've, VR is not the place I'd be investing money in right now. I'd be doing it in the other types of things we talked about. 
With that, Chris, again, uh, you, you've been you know writing about a lot of experiences, seeing a lot of experiences. Are there like these best as we start to get back in the groove of things and start to go back to locations? Is there best in store experience that you've seen and you think you know people should start mimicking? Oh man, I think it depends on what front. I mean, I think if you are if you're talking on the convenience side. I mean, I think Amazon Go, hands it down, is the best convenient experience out there. And so if you're not already playing in that, you're well behind. The crazy thing about that is there's, I think, 25, 26 of them now. The more of those they have, the better that technology gets. And yet we haven't even seen one live from anyone else. And that thing's been out for two and a half years now. So on the convenience side, I think, you know, I think that's a big one to keep an eye on. As far as the other reasons you go into a physical store, I mean, you talk inspiration, you talk immediate gratification, you talk the idea of taxion, like touching, feeling, trying things on, getting confidence in your purchase. I think there's different retailers that all do that you know, well in different ways. It's hard to single out just one, but I think fundamentally, any physical retail, it's about answering the why of why you're coming there to begin with. And for me, the places that probably still do that the best, I think the one-stop shops, the Walmarts, the Targets, I think they still offer something. I think the TGXs of the world, I think they still offer something in terms of the treasure hunt mentality that you can't simulate online. Same with the clubs. So the Sam's Clubs, the Costco's. But after that, I think you really start to get into a pretty big delineation. And really then it's left to where have the malls almost done that pretty well in terms of here are all the experiences you can do while shopping. So you think the Mall of America, I'm interviewing the American Dream CEO today. I'm curious what he thinks about that topic as well. You know, that's where you also start to see it. Otherwise, it just, you know, is left to what is the specific products that each of those retailers sells and how captivating is it to you? And, you know, as retailers are thinking through this, are there technologies? And and you said something that was really important. Don't just, you know, uh, tie in technology to tie in technology, tie in the right technology uh, to be able to further that experience. Are there technologies that you feel should be looked at holistically or is it is it really dependent on the retailer? Wow. Yeah, we could probably spend like 30 minutes on that. (laughs) I think for me, there's three legs of the stool on the technology side that I think people have to be evaluating. Um, and I actually just asked the chief product officer of Walmart the same question. To me and to him, the fundamental probably piece of technology is real-time cloud point of sale. Like you've got to be able to have a real-time transaction log record of everything going on your, in your store. So in addition to that, there's all the elements of cloud commerce, whether it be the order management system, the ERP system. You have to be moving in that direction to have the real-time log. The second piece, and this is where I, and I think that's true of every retailer. Now, what systems you choose, I think, depends on your operation. Where it gets really unique by retailer and specific, I think, are the next two legs of the stool. And that the first one would be what's what I call the application layer. So that's the system of recording devices that essentially consumers or employees can use to help identify what's actually happening and to actually make that record. So it could be digital screens in a store. It could be a customer's uh, mobile device. It could be a sales associate's device. It could be a fitting room. It can be lots of different things, but you have to design that within the right architectural and human design elements of what you do as a brand, right? That's how it all has to come together. And then the last part is what I call contextual and location-based analytics. That's being able to understand the physicality of what people are doing in a space, almost like a mouse moves on a browser, so that all things being equal, you know what matters and what doesn't, almost like a big regression analysis. That I think you're starting to see. Like Actually, the cool thing about COVID is location understanding and analytics is becoming more important. So it's cool to see that. And then you get into the contextual side with how you can pipe the data in from social media in terms of what people are doing on their Facebook feeds. That's what's cool about Alexa is it knows the psychology I'm in when I'm doing all these different activities across both the digital and physical divide. So those are the things I think that collectively matter. 
But it's not just that. I mean, back to your other question, like another great experience, Lululemon. Like you can have all that as a foundation, but it's also about what are the human and physical elements of your space or your retail offerings that matter? You know, and that's what they've done a great job of recently in terms of putting yoga studios in the store, cafes, where it's not just about the yoga pants, it's about the whole experience and how it all comes together. But it's thinking in that mindset along the lines of the technology as the foundation that'll, I think, make a difference over the long run. Agreed, agreed. Um, those are great examples. And I think one of the things that, you know, comes to mind, uh, you know, during these times and, and beyond is what are elements of, you know, one, one of the retailers that I was talking to the other, the other day said, you know, I wish I would have been able to kind of dissect kind of what type of customer I'm selling to earlier and start to build some of those brand elements in store and outside of store. So for retailers that haven't done that, is there advice or like a checklist that you go through in your mind of like how to start to build up their brand, you know, now or, or after they start really opening up again? I think, I mean, COVID aside, I think it, I think it starts with, I mean, fundamentally, you've got to strive for having a bridged offline and online understanding of what's happening with your consumer. And I think that so often that's where things fall down. And that's why we stay bifurcated by the channel. So I think that's where, again, that first leg of the stool matters so much of, hey, how do you find the bridge to that data? Most of the e-commerce players that are going to physical world inherently understand the value of data. So once they can make those connection points, that's why they're so scary, too, because once they go into the physical world, they'll probably do it in this way. Although it's funny to see some of them revert back to how traditionally it's been done. But I think if they can come at it with that type of foundational point of view of how you're going to do it, then you can start to use the physical store like you would A-B test the website and start to understand what decisions you make in that space matter. And that's where we have to go. And so I think that's that's the mindset you have to have. Now, will it take many, many years to get there? Sure, but that's okay. Hopefully you're in this for the long haul. Chris, that's a wealth of information. Any Anything uh, else that you want to kind of share with our listeners here? Oh, man, no, it's been great. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I think if people have been interested, you know, definitely check us out on Omnitalk, omnitalk.blog. You can also follow me on my page at Forbes. But uh, yeah, this is the type of stuff we talk about pretty regularly, uh, almost to the point of exhaustion. We love the topic so much. Well, you can tell you're an expert. So again, thank you so much for your time. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.